Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investments. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Chris Demuth and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Walker. It's Tuesday, April 26, and today we're talking about M&A and activism in two old world industries ripe for consolidation, newspapers and banks. So, Andrew, let's start with newspapers. All right. Well, sounds good. It's a little weird to be sitting on the other side of the table again today, Chris. So, newspapers, uh, feel free to jump in whenever you want to add anything. But on Monday, Gannett, the ticker's GCI, their uh, big property is they own USA Today. They made a public offer to buy Tribune Publishing, ticker TPUB, who owns the LA Times and the Chicago, the Chicago Tribune, for $12.25 per share. Uh, this was a huge premium to Tribune's closing price last week. Uh, they closed at about $7.50 last week, so this was about a 60% premium. Uh, the move is commonly known as a bear hug, and what ha- you do a bear hug when you make an offer at a huge premium. Uh, and you're thinking that, hey, this management team won't negotiate with us, so we'll come out with this huge premium offer, force them to the table, shareholders will demand they negotiate. Uh, shares are currently, Tribune shares are currently trading at about $11.50, which suggests investors think there's a good chance this deal goes through, but it's not a done deal by any means. Uh, it's a very dramatic situation. Both sides are kind of accusing the other of playing games. Uh, and playing games is a quote that Tribune management actually put out, or they kind of leaked to the Wall Street Journal. They claimed that Gannett was making ridiculous demands, including uh, on a Sunday morning, they said, here's something you need to respond to. Respond within 90 minutes or else hell hath no fury like we will have. And Gannett has claimed this is time sensitive and Tribune didn't engage constructively. Uh, Tribune waited 10 days from the offer before hiring advisors, and normally you do that almost immediately when you got an offer. Uh, and Tribune kept saying, hey, Gannett, why don't you wait until June 2nd before we really start engaging with you? And the reason they might be wanting to wait until June 2nd is Tribune's chairman will effectively take control of the board on June 2nd. Mm-hmm. So people are really so Gannett's really worried that once he takes control of the board, his ego will get wrapped up in the company. He'll control it and he won't respond to any offers. So I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but anything you want to jump in with the deal The deal today? I think slow is good for defense, so it makes sense to me that there's a sense of urgency from the perspective of buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's wrong with playing games. I like games, playing <laughs> games. I think that a lot of times um, parties, when their egos are wrapped up and they're dealing with uh, advisors and various high-priced helpers, they act as if the process is somehow sacrosanct, like they're the Pope or they're the law or something. There's some moral import. And I think, heck, disrupt the process. If you're the other side of this, go too fast, go too slow. Even at the retail level, when you're dealing with a, a, a real estate agent or something, they mm-hmm. say, well, you need this by Thursday. It's like, well, that's just some lady telling you something. You don't need to listen. <laughs> in fact, listening is almost a terrible idea in every case. Go faster, go slower. But, yeah. but I almost go out of my way to disrupt the process and not do what they tell you to. There's, yeah. no, there's nothing at stake. It's just what they want. In an auction, when the, everybody's saying your bids need to be in by Thursday at noon, like a lot of times, it needs to be in 24 hours. That speed is kind of trying to get your adrenaline up so you'll overpay. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case here, but it is interesting. To if if you're the best deal for the other party and you're a week late, what are they going to do? Are they going to punish themselves because you didn't meet their arbitrary deadline? Yeah. 
Well, in this case, I do think there is arguments that Tribune was dragging their feet so the uh, chairman could take could kind of take control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he the way he became chairman was in uh, February. He invested forty five million into Tribune at eight dollars and fifty cents per share. It made, that investment made him Tribune's largest shareholder. Their chairman, and as soon as he became chairman, he pushed out the Tribune CEO and kind of installed his own, who was friendly with him. He's been taking over control of the board. And if you read some of the quotes from him at the time the deal, at the time his investment was announced, he said, "I'm committed for the long term. I have no intention of ever selling my stake. I'm putting my personal and business reputation on the line in making this deal. I don't know if he really wants to sell to Gannett right now. I think he really does want to run this company. So I think Gannett might be right to do the." Uh, Bear hug. Let's talk about uh, why Gannett wants to buy Tribune. Uh, they just bought Journal Media, and basically newspapers are a dying industry. And Gannett sees in Tribune, if we buy them, we can basically cut costs, fire people, consolidate costs, and realize huge synergies. Uh, just to put the synergies in context, Tribune is – they're going to do about $150 million in EBITDA this year, and Gannett thinks they can get more than $50 million in synergies from them. So by buying them, they can immediately you know, increase earnings by over 33%. So I'll turn it to you, Chris. How do you think this whole situation plays out? You know, I don't know. Um, people talk about uh, something being a buggy whip uh, industry, and this certainly is. But the actual buggy whip industry has done really well over the last 100 years. Uh, you know, that uh, we actually know one of the companies that uh, – that, that makes them, uh, you just need to pay less than the amount of cash uh, on a discounted basis you're going to get back before it goes to zero. The newspaper's uh, last day will come at some point in the future, and uh, they need to take out costs and run it well between now and then. Um, but uh, so I should say my big conclusion, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the shareholders on the Tribune side should be enthusiastic about this. Uh, Gannett should be enthusiastic about this. The right thing to happen would be for the combination to happen. It's kind of funny because, A, the right thing to happen would be the combination to happen basically at the price Gannett proposed. Mm-hmm. And that's in line with all the previous deals they've done. And Tribune, if you read anything, uh, a lot of things will call them quote-unquote Troubled Tribune is what I've seen a lot of newspapers calling them. So for them to get an industry-like takeout multiple is pretty nice for them. On the buggy whip thing, I mean, paper newspapers are almost certainly a buggy whip. But it is interesting, you know, Jeff Bezos, who Amazon's chairman, he bought the Washington Post uh, two years ago, I think, two years ago. And everybody thought, oh, that's a trophy purchase. You know, he's being Mm -hmm. foolish. He wants to get into politics with the Washington Post. Uh, but they've actually thrived under his leadership mm-hmm. by embracing a very media uh, online centric strategy. So I wonder, you know, yes, the, new, the physical newspaper is going to die, but Gannett, by getting bigger, maybe they can better address kind of online properties, specifically using all the local reporting to feed into USA Today is interesting. Uh, so we will see how that plays out. Anything else before we turn to banks? I have nothing to add. Okay, so why don't you take over for banks? I'll just give some background. Uh, we talked on our April 19th podcast, Can Facebook Stop Trump? We talked about how large banks could be ripe for a breakup. Uh, and today, I think you're going to turn your attention to the regional banks mm-hmm. and talk about how they might be ripe for some activism, some consolidation, some M&A. So why don't you take it from there? There are too many banks, many, many, too many <laughs> banks. And a lot of them you can look at. 
the returns they're able to get on a standalone basis, and they just cannot justify being standalone companies. This is true at an extreme level at the very small local banks that we talk about sometime. It is true at a serious level at the regional banks that we're going to talk about today. And we have a couple favorites to bring up. Why don't, before you bring up the favorites, I think this is an important part, especially for listeners who might not look at banks so much. When you say their returns are too low, what do you mean by their returns are too low? Um, the amount of the, 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 the return on uh, tangible equity, the exactly. amount of money that, the, that they are making uh, on tangible equity. So, look, profits are great, but your profits come from, in a bank, they come from the amount of equity you've put in. So mm-hmm. if you've put in $100 of equity and you get $20 back, that's a 20% return on equity, you're a fabulous bank. Mm-hmm. If you put in $100 and you get $1 back, 1% return on equity, you know, it's way below your cost of capital. And I think some of the banks you're going to talk about are earning 5 to 6% returns on equity, which most people say cost of equity for a bank, 8 to 10% is right. So they're below the cost of equity, and they really need to do something to justify being, being standalone or go sell to someone who can get you up to speed. Go ahead. Once you get beneath 12 or so is when you're in the, my penalty box yeah. and kind of I turn attention to, well, it's time to think about doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that different thing you do can take different forms. Um, but uh, two in particular, I'll mention, uh, I'll start off with something that's been quite in the press in the last few days, Comerica. Yep. Ticker CMA. What's going on with them? Well, uh, their shareholders are unhappy. Uh, a very famous sell-side analyst, and this is in a role that I don't think I've seen before, a gentleman named Mike Mayo has been pushing for them to consider selling. Yep. So Mike Mayo, he's got a long history, I believe, with Citigroup. And mm-hmm. he, uh, some, there's been some quotes where I'll go on these uh, conference calls after banks announce quarterly earnings and ask really tough questions. Mm-hmm. And I think one, uh, one bank CEO called him a party pooper the other week. Mm-hmm. But he is going out to Comerica and saying, hey, guys, your return on equity is way too low. You need to sell. I get a lot of shareholders calling me saying, why are these guys still standalone? Why don't they sell? And it's very rare for an analyst to actually approach a management team and say, sell, because they don't want to hurt their relationship with the management team. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. Um, and in this case, you know, there, people have been back and forth on this, but it's a, it is a uh, old, without being overly macabre, the, the, the age of the CEO is something that we look at carefully. Uh, and I should say, in a very low interest rate environment, it's even more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the individual economics of somebody who has a lavish salary, that's even more important when the uh, risk-free rate that their money is making isn't very competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, at a very high interest rate environment, if you see saved up maybe $10 million, you can have a really nice retirement. It, it, close to zero, you know, you might still be worried and very grateful for that high salary you're getting. Yep. So in this case, 67 years old, no succession plan, uh, and looks to me like he could be a seller. Yeah, so it's been rumored before. I, I think people had thought, oh, he'll be open to selling at the right price at some point without a successor. Uh, Comerica held their annual meeting today, and people asked him point blank, you know, are you selling? And I, he put out a lot of language that makes it seem like he's open to selling. I think he said something along the lines of, we need to earn our right to be independent every day, and we're not doing that right now. Mm-hmm. I think that was the quote. But clearly, activists are in there pushing, and he's starting to get the message that uh, it might be worth selling. So why don't we talk about the bank is trading at about tangible book today, mm-hmm. uh, maybe slightly over, which we said is the amount of equity that's been put in. If they're trading at tangible book, you know that's the amount of money that's been put in. They're earning a 5% ROE, 6% ROE. They pr- kind of trade at 15x price to earnings. 
uh, it looks reasonably priced from a distance. So it's why a standalone? It's probably uh, give or take about right. Exactly. So why is this so attractive to someone to buy them if they're kind of reasonably priced right now? Uh, banks can take out a ton of costs, especially when the maps fit together really well mm-hmm. with other locations. But uh, the the costs of a standalone bank and a strategic deal can be. Uh, can be really whacked away pretty significantly. Yeah. So you can take out all the management costs. Mm-hmm. You don't need two management teams. IT systems are huge for banks right now. So you only need one IT system. You can take out the other person's IT system. And one really uh, valuable, another really valuable piece is actually the deposits a bank has. And I'll let you talk about the deposits a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, we talk about core deposit premiums. And uh, when you have uh, kind of high quality deposits, uh, a great business, banking's a great business. It's just a kind of levered exposure to a local economy. Uh, and if you're careful with your uh, credit analysis and you're a careful lender, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of these businesses that I think... The business that it should be is a great business, and then it constantly makes people uh, prone to mischief. Yep. Uh, that you can always grow faster by lowering your standards, and that can be a mistake. But um, in this case, if you have good deposits, you know, if you have good enough service, so people are willing to basically lend you money for nothing. Yep. Uh, it, uh, it, it it's especially wonderful, and this is going to be a big part of M and A and how buyers look at M and A. So the core thing is, if you have good enough customer service that your customers don't flee. Uh, you basically a deposit is an interest free loan, and then you can go turn around and lend it out to someone for a mortgage or a, bi- a bank M and A thing. Lend it out to them at four or five, six percent, and you just collect the difference. That's really what a bank is. So a lot of banks, uh, the these guys are earning a low return on equity, but they have very low cost deposits, free loans, and a lot of banks are going to look at those deposits and say that's really valuable to me. I'll get them, and then I'll use that to fund all my loans that I mm-hmm. have. Uh, why don't you? I think we've got a few minutes left. Why don't you jump into the other activist situation you've been looking at? Um, the other one that I mentioned today is Zion's <laughs> uh, ticker, uh, easy to remember, Z I O N. And this has been less uh, famous. It doesn't have a Mike Mayo yet, but it will in the future. Yep. So uh, Zion, I think they everything we said about Comerica holds true, except there's no activist. So. Right now, you're buying below tangible book value. No activists, so so nobody to force a sale. We think there's going to be one in the future, so you get to buy it a little bit cheaper. But everything else holds true for Zion. How do you think that situation plays out? You know, I think that it's going to get a lot of attention in the months ahead. I think that it kind of for an investor, and we'll mention in the disclosure, we own both of these. I don't think it's that surprising to hear. Uh, and it's a situation where... Um, it's probably ho-hum uh, as a standalone. It is probably fantastic as a takeout candidate, but there's a lot of kind of intermediate Pyrrhic victories between a standalone and a deal target. Uh, they can spin off, you know, they have different businesses that they could spin off. They have a bank in California. There's different uh, assets that could be sold uh, such that capital can get back, re- returned to their owners in a number of different ways. But it's the kind of thing that, uh, boy, activists were just born for. Yep. And there are a number of activists that could look at this. There are a number of people who are actively raising new funds right now. So this is going to be the kind of thing that gets a lot of attention. Yeah, it's something that a lot of activists have been looking at. Uh, everyone knows that there are too many banks in America, mm-hmm. all, all the excess costs we mentioned can be taken out when you merge. And a lot of activists are targeting this specific area. Uh, there was an article over the weekend, David Sokol, who you, who everyone thought was Warren Buffett's mm-hmm. kind of successor until there was an insider trading scandal. He's formed a fund that is targeting purely M&A and small and mid-cap banks. 
lots of people are looking at it, and it just kind of makes too much sense for it not to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think and we're... It, it'll be ahead. something for your newspapers to write about. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, will, I, I won't say the uh, uh, specifics, but I, I once uh, said something unintentionally flattering to my colleague Andrew here, uh, saying I had read this wonderful paper and had this really amazing conclusion. It ended up being his paper, I didn't realize at the time. But a lot of the verbiage and a lot of the rationale for M&A throughout history is largely net BS. I mean, it yeah. might work, uh, but it's just kind of the kind of thing you say, but it has no statistical reality. Mm-hmm. The one thing that has statistical reality is cost savings. Yep. That if you pay two of something and you only need one and you can fire one of them, I guess it's kind of the, the darkest uh, from a personnel and cultural standpoint, yep. but it's real. <laughs> and uh, and boy, uh, that's what you do M&A for. If you look at uh, merger and acquisitions when they're announced, a lot of times people come out and say a billion in synergies, $500 million in cost cutting, $500 million in cross-selling revenue. And you can kind of figure out what the market gives them credit for. And almost every time it's you give all the credit for the cost cutting and you give none of the credit for the revenue synergies yep. because there are very few industries where revenue synergies are actually actually. Uh, Realizable. We're almost out of time. Any, any quick I, would just, I would just say that's wholly consistent with economic theory on the theory of the firm. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can always contract in separate firms. You, you don't need to put them together. You can to contract You can contract across uh, licensing revenue, but you can't contract, hey, your management team is my management team. We've seen companies try to do that and ends up with management teams getting overpaid and shareholders doing poorly. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, quick reminders. If you like this podcast... Please be sure to follow us and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. We're no longer on SoundCloud. We're on Audioboom. Uh, we really appreciate any feedback you leave for us, and it helps keep this podcast going. Again, if you have any feedback you'd like to email us, podcast at rangedacapital.com is our email address. And Chris, our disclosures. I am not long anything we talked about. I think you're long CMA, Zion, and TPUB. Is that all right? Yes. All right. Z- CMA, Zion, and TPUB are Chris's longs. And we will talk to you guys again on Friday. Thanks for listening.